welcome to you, especially if you are new to us this morning or visiting us for the first time. It's exciting that you're with us for the start of our new uh, coronation preaching series. Just yesterday, we witnessed the coronation of King Charles III, and, and what an extraordinary day that was. Uh, I'm sure uh, many watching and taking part thought that it was just kind of ritual or tradition, um, but I don't think I've heard a clearer declaration of the truths about God that so many would have heard, and we pray that there were seeds sown there that people would, uh, that would grow in people. Uh, certainly for me, one of the most moving parts was when the, the mediator of the General Assemblies of the Church of Scotland uh, gave Charles the Bible and said to him, receive this book, the most valuable thing that the world affords. Here is wisdom. And I think those are words that we would certainly echo, certainly words that we would agree with, certainly words that we would try to put into practice every week as we unlock uh, the Word of God. Um, I believe that Charles has no less than 14 official titles. King of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, Head of the Commonwealth, Defender of the Faith, many others beside. One person, but with many roles. So what better time to look at Jesus our King, but one who also has many roles, notably in this series, that of prophet, priest, and king. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be unpacking each of those topics. The message of the Bible is at its heart very simple. God created mankind to be in a relationship with him, to inhabit this wonderful world that he had created. However, man sinned and chose to ignore God's rule and go his own way. That rebellion had disastrous consequences in that man fell out of relationship with God. God still loved him, but a holy and righteous God could no longer freely interact with sinful men and women. This wasn't God just being uh, picky or unforgiving. A perfect and righteous God simply cannot interact or entertain sin without himself becoming less than perfect and so no longer God. And so the barriers came up, uh, a little bit like in an isolation ward, to prevent that which is now less than perfect coming into contact with that which is perfect. But, and the great but of Scripture, is that God still loved mankind and wanted to forgive him and to restore that broken relationship. But in a way that maintained his holiness and justice and did not just ignore or turn a blind eye to our sin. And so Jesus came into the world to die in our place, to take the punishment we deserve so that God's justice could be satisfied and his love realised again as the barriers between us were broken down on the cross. One who lived in indescribable glory undertook an unparalleled fall to suffer an unimaginable punishment, to deal with what would appear to be an unresolvable situation for an innumerable number of people and to do so for all eternity. That's the message of the gospel. I don't think there's a greater message that we could declare. And we have just told it in a couple of minutes. It's a story that we can tell in a couple of minutes. But it is a story that is incredibly rich and complex as well. Uh, and so during this correlation series, we're going to be looking at this story from a number of angles. Because our relationship with God was broken in so many ways... 
And Christ needed to restore that relationship in so many ways. And just three areas of that relationship that were broken that need a prophet, a priest, and a king will be the subject for this uh, series. We talk, or, or theologians talk, of Christ as having three offices. Now, when you use the word office, you think of a tall building with computers where people go to work. But the word really comes from the Latin, officium, which means a role or a job or a purpose. And so Jesus has a role and a purpose of being our prophet and priest and king. And the reason for that is that with each role, he restores a different aspect of our broken relationship with God. This whole series might be uh, summed up uh, with two questions. If the clicker will work, or we can advance it. Thank you. Two questions. What happened as a result of man's sin? What aspect of our relationship with God was broken? This morning we'll be looking at Jesus, our prophet, and seeing an aspect of our relationship with God that was broken and how only a prophet could fix that. There are, of course, a number of verses that we could look at to explore this topic, and we'll be looking at a number. But I want to start by reading out part of the Heidelberg Catechism. This was a document written in 1563, which laid out truths that the Protestant church held to, as opposing to some uh, differing views of the Catholic church, which were causing arguments, and some downright erroneous views that other people had picked up. The document's divided into 52 parts, so one part could be read each week in the church service. And it's made up of a number of questions that the priest would ask and the congregation would answer. 129 questions in all. Now, if all of that seems a little bit deep this morning, hang in there with me. It will make sense shortly. This is question 31. And the priest would ask, why is he called Christ? That is, anointed. And the congregation would answer, because he has been ordained by God the Father and has been anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher who perfectly reveals to us the secret counsel and will of God for our deliverance. He is our only high priest who has set us free by the one sacrifice of our body and who continually pleads our cause with the Father and who is our eternal king who governs us by his word and spirit, and who guards us and keeps us in the freedom that he has won for us. Prophet, priest, and king. All in a couple of sentences, and that sets the tone for this whole series. So this morning we'll be looking at Jesus, our prophet. Father, I pray that you would uh, make your word come alive for us today. Help us to see afresh your hand and your work and your plan for us. Thank you for your goodness, and grant us understanding now as we look at your word. Okay, let's make this simple with a diagram that we, I love diagrams, that we are going to work through this morning. We're going to go on a journey this morning. hope you're going to come with me on this journey. Um, but let's start right back at the beginning, in Eden, with Adam and Eve enjoying that perfect relationship with God. This was paradise in the sense uh, that Adam and Eve were prophets. They could hear from God. 
There was no problem in them hearing. He talked to them and they understood him. God gave them clear instructions. Uh, In this case, particularly what not to do, but certainly they could hear God. There's also this wonderful exchange in verse 19 of Genesis 2 where God asks Adam to name all the animals, and he does so. Um, how do we get hippopotami, if that's the plural? You know, was, uh, was Adam running out of names? Have we done rabbit and cow and dog? And he says, how many more animals have we got? Uh, was, did God not hear I, I, you know, I think there was a clear communication. I'm not sure how we got that. Maybe God said, do you know what? There, there's 20,000 species of beetle. But just, just go with the general term beetle. We don't need a different one for all of them. I'd love to have been in Eden to have seen that, that story. But, but there's this clear interchange, this communication between God uh, and with Adam. And I don't want to jump ahead too far to the next couple of weeks. But while we are here, albeit so briefly in paradise... We we just want to see that they were also priests. Because not only could they hear God, but they could talk to God. That's what a priest does. He comes into God's presence and he brings the prayers of the people. He talks to God on behalf of the people. So here at Adam and Eve, they're, they're prophets. They can hear from God. They're priests. They can talk to God. And they are, in a sense, kings in that they had dominion over creation. Adam is naming the animals. God gives them uh, the animals for food and authority to rule over this creation. Prophet, priest, and king. Here in paradise, a perfect environment. But as we know, this state didn't last very long. Adam and Eve did what they were specifically told not to do, and so created a problem my points all have P's. I have to do it that way. I'm so sorry. They all start with the same letter. You'll know where we're going. We have paradise. Point two is that we have a problem. It is sin. Because of their sin, they could no longer hear God clearly. There was a barrier between them. As Isaiah says, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear And as Paul says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Perhaps I ought to move on, and then you can have that slide. There we go. And then, for also, uh, for although they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give him thanks, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And so sin enters the world and breaks this relationship Men can no longer hear God. They're no longer prophets. And I don't think we realise how fundamentally destructive sin is and was. We talk of a a broken relationship. I've used that phrase already this morning. But that doesn't really do justice to how serious sin is. Just last week, our uh, washing machine broke down. Uh, It broke And as serious as that might be, we hoped that brokenness might get fixed. We called an engineer, uh, hoping that there was some simple problem. And the engineer duly came and uh, prodded and poked and twisted a few things. And then there was this sharp sort of sucking in of breath that only repairman can do. Uh, And followed by some technical comments about fried computer modules. 
and we suddenly realized that this wasn't uh, something that was quite simple to fix. And this broken relationship that I'd hoped might suddenly get fixed was actually a severed relationship. It was no more. It wasn't going to get restored. Uh, it was totally and irrevocably and inconceivably broken. And that washing machine has indeed gone to that great appliance graveyard in the sky now. And there is a new shiny washing machine in its place. But the old one wasn't coming back. That relationship was severed. It was beyond hope. And you see, sin isn't just us being a little bit naughty and being sent to our room to kind of think things over and do better next time. Sin doesn't mean God just has to reach for his 101 tips of how to parent wayward children and think, gosh, I'll, I'll deal with them better next time. Sin destroys totally our relationship with God. It is severed. It is no more. And so uh, these relationships don't just need a quick fix. They need something serious. And so, in regard to being a prophet and being able to hear from God, God's word is now absent, or at best clouded, and it's almost impossible to hear him. What man needed from the moment Adam and Eve were exiled from Eden to our present time is for somebody to bring God's word to us again with the same clarity with which they heard it in Eden. God still wants to speak to us. God still wants us to hear him. But this barrier of sin between us means that there's some incredibly good sound insulation between the two parties, if you like. And so God created the prophet. And with it, he created the promise. A promise that he would again speak to mankind. God instituted a human means by which his word could come again to mankind. It was an imperfect solution because sin was still present in the world, even in those people that were called to be prophets. But it would serve for a period of time. And more importantly, it was a promise of something greater to come. We see many examples in the Old Testament. The role of the prophet is made very clear. Uh, this is Isaiah, and he said, uh, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and whom will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people. That's God speaking to Isaiah. We don't need to, for the purpose of this morning, know what God said to Isaiah, but go and say to this people. For Ezekiel, uh, God says, The descendants are also impudent and stubborn. I send you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord. And whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And to Jeremiah, but the Lord said to me, do not say, I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. We could do that with every prophet in the Bible. You can do that if you want some homework. Do that in the do that for every prophet, and you'll find it somewhere in there. The word of God comes to them. Hear, go tell. That's the role of the prophet. Hear, go, tell. But these human prophets could not fully bring God's word to men. They were themselves sinful and human. And, and Ezekiel was, was told, uh, the people aren't actually going to listen anyway, which I think was probably a bit depressing for Ezekiel. Go, hear, tell, but by the way, they're not going to kind of listen. Um, the role of the prophet was not always a successful one. 
Uh, and so in the case of Ezekiel, uh, God says, but the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you for they are not willing to listen to me because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. A hard forehead and a stubborn heart. It's that barrier that's going to stop God's word getting through. And so often that not listening to the prophets became physical opposition where the prophet was imprisoned or even killed. Jeremiah was thrown down a well. Um, And Elijah complains in 1 Kings, he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, throw down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. I think if we conclude anything from this, it's the lot of the prophet was not a happy one. Uh, They did not... uh, They did not always enjoy success. And and the truth is, for every great story about the prophets, uh, for every Elijah and the prophets of Baal and that sacrifice and the fire and the water, for all the stories that we tell our kids out in kids' work, there's all those stories where, hey, the prophet's word was not received, when he was chucked down a well, when he was rejected, where he was beaten, where his word fell on hard foreheads. The prophets were just a picture, you see, a promise of what was to come. Also notice, when they heard God's word and spoke, they passed on that message. But once they'd passed it on, they stopped prophesying. It was a gift that only lasted for a period of time. It was needed, and yet there is this expectation, this longing for for something more, an abundance, a, a continuity in the gift that means there's more to this journey, this journey back to being able to hear God again. There is a a wonderful story in Numbers 11 uh, that shows this. Uh, Moses is having a hard time uh, leading the people. Uh, They're coming to him with all their queries and all their problems. And there's only one of him and literally thousands of them. And God promises to give him some help. So we pick up the story in Numbers 11. Uh, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. So you had this prophecy, but just for that moment, just for that moment in time. So so there's there's this increase in prophecy, but also this picture that it's only for a period. But then, however, um, the Bible's so clever because every so often when you get, get stuck in the Old Testament and think, oh gosh, how am I going to labour on through Numbers and Deuteronomy and, and this kind of stuff, you think, where's this going? You suddenly get this little window that kind of opens up and says, ah, oh, but this is what's coming. This is the glory that this is pointing to. And so you read on in that story and it seems that there were, there were two men, however, two men whose names were Eldad and Medad, remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but they didn't go to the tent. Yet the Spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. I I don't know why uh, they didn't join the other elders. Maybe they were uh, binging out on Netflix, or the message hadn't got through to them. Maybe they found something a little bit more exciting to do. But, But even because they weren't in the tent, the Spirit of God fell on them, and they prophesied. And that, in a sense, is this window, this thing that we're looking forward to, if with prophecy that God will speak and continue to speak to all his people and not to a select few. Perhaps one of the, uh, the saddest periods 
in this whole period of time for which there are no books, no chapters, no verses, is the 400-year period that occurred between the end of the Old Testament and the start of the New. At the end of Malachi, uh, the last book in the Old Testament, a promise, a, a prophet like Elijah is promised. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to the fathers, as I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. I was promised in Malachi at the end of the Old Testament. But it's 400 years before John the Baptist appears on the scene. 400 years where God is silent, where his voice is not heard. It seems as though God has given up trying to be heard. The noise, the blockage in our ears is just too much. The message can't get through. It seems that the role of the prophet is no more. And the people cry out, and Malachi says, uh, uh, the people say, well, where is, where is God? And Malachi says, you've wearied the Lord with your words. And you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he who delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? God is finding it, well, God is, it seems that God is finding it hard to break through this barrier of sin and speak to mankind. It's not looking good for human prophets or for mankind in being able to hear God's voice again. But as this diagram shows, this was just a promise, a promise of something better to come. The promise of a prophet who will bring God's word to the people and will see a response. So let's move on to the person. The prophets pointed to a person, specifically to Jesus, who would be that perfect prophet and perfectly bring God's word and break down the barrier that had grown up between men and God. For he himself is our peace, says Paul in Ephesians, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. And Jesus made it very clear that those who saw him and heard him saw and heard God. Jesus said to him, I've been with you so long. How do you still not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And Jesus made it very clear that he only spoke what the Father told him to say. I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And so with the human prophets, we had this less than perfect translation, if you like. I don't know how the how the notes in Farsi are working out, guys. They went into Google Translate, and I've no idea what came out the other end. Uh, Google Translate is a, is a bit of a poor translator, I'm sure, at best. Something's going to get lost along the way. I know for a fact when, when I translate notes into, into Ukrainian for Valentina, it has to kind of get checked again because what Google says doesn't quite make sense. The, the sort of idea is there. And we hope and pray that Google Translate gets better because it will make our lives easier. But, but it's not quite perfect yet. And that's almost the kind of picture of the Old Testament prophets. They're like a, an Old Testament version of Google Translate. It, it's doing an okay job, but it's not quite there yet. 
It's not quite perfectly reflecting the message that needs to be reflected. And yes, Jesus, a prophet, was crucified and killed. In that sense, the word was rejected. But so many others recognised the truth of what he said and who he was. And they said, concerning this Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This is really a prophet. The people of the time recognised with enormous clarity that here was someone who was bringing the word of God to them. Why are they saying that? Because suddenly the word of God is coming with clarity and with uh, with honesty and with openness. And so in the diagram, we, we kind of come to the fifth point. We come to us here today, a people. A people longing also for God to speak to us. A people longing for us to be able to hear God. We still need the prophet. There's a great promise in Jeremiah, although Jeremiah lived thousands of years ago, his prophecy and message remain true uh, for us. Again, Jeremiah 31 is just a remarkable example of dire, terrible, depressing stories. Jeremiah had, a, had an awful lot, to put it bluntly. You read his narrative, his story, and you think, I wouldn't want that job. But suddenly in the middle, in Jeremiah 31, it's almost as if the clouds open and the sun shines through. There's this this chapter that just suddenly brings hope and expectation and clarity. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. For they shall all know me. They shall all hear me. There shall be a clarity of the message. And again, in John's gospel, Jesus says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare all these things that are to come. And so whilst I said earlier that we kind of live in this problem part of the diagram, we still live in a fallen world. We still live in a world where sin is a barrier. Uh, We who've put our trust in Jesus have, if you like, moved across to the other side of that diagram where the people uh, that are looking for, that are expecting, are experiencing the Holy Spirit so that we can again hear God. We're all eldads and medads, if you like, on whom the Spirit has fallen. Even when we weren't expecting it, when we weren't expecting it, the Spirit will fall on us. Moses' cry that I wish all God's people would prophesy is a cry that comes to us. But this, and, and this is important, because we're not at the end of the journey yet. Yes, we are a people on whom God's spirit has fallen. Yes, we are a people who prophesy. But we're not back in paradise yet. We're not back in Eden yet. That day will come 
That day will come when Christ returns and all will fully and completely be restored. And we long for that day. We, we look forward to that return. That's where we're going. That's our destiny. That's our purpose. That's this great circular story of the Bible. The journey from Eden back to Eden. That's what we preach. That's the gospel that we declare. All that was good and perfect and right in the beginning will be good and right and perfect again. That's the journey. That's where we're going. But we're not there yet. And so we have to uh, look back to Jesus as our prophet still. We know in part. We prophesy in part. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know even also as I are known. Two or three prophets should speak and others should weigh carefully what is said. We're people that, that sit here in that red box, in the people box, but we kind of need to look in two directions. Yeah, forward to Eden, to paradise, that's where they were going. But hey, back to Jesus, he's still our example, our model, our great High priest, our great prophet. Let me start to bring this to a close. We're going to move into communion in a moment. But let me start to bring this to a close with some final thoughts. Let me be very clear, because whilst I'm sure most people in the room are part of God's family and are trusting in Jesus already, maybe you're not. Maybe you're here as a visitor this morning. Maybe this is your first time in church or your first time in church for a long time. You wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Um, if that's the case, then uh, well done for sticking what's been a bit of a tough word. We've jumped through a lot of verses. Well done uh, for that. But um, it's been a complex word. But I make no apologies for sharing the truth of the gospel as I did at the beginning, reminding you of the seriousness of sin. Because if this morning you can't say that Jesus is your own personal Lord and Saviour, then you're sitting over there in the problem place. Let me ask you, where would you put yourself on that circle? There's five points, but there's actually only two where you can pop yourself. Because we're not in paradise, so we can't take that one. We're not in the Old Testament, so we're not talking about a promise. And we're not Jesus, so we're not going for the person box. That leaves two boxes. You can be in the problem box or you can be in the people box. And you see, when we talk about prophecy being about hearing from God, you might say, well, actually, I don't hear from God. You might even say, I don't want to hear from God. Uh, and ultimately, that's your choice. But there is a day coming. There is a day coming that is written when we will all hear Jesus speak with crystal clear clarity. It doesn't matter if you believe in him or don't want to believe in him, whatever your faith, age, gender, you'll hear Jesus speak. And he's going to say one of two things to you. That's it, he's going to say one or two things. It's in Matthew 25. It says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And he'll say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and for his angels. And for those people who have spent their lives not wanting to listen to God, then he'll ultimately grant them that wish. 
God will allow them to depart to a place where his word is not heard ever again. You see, this is serious stuff. Sin is serious. I said that at the beginning. And I don't want to sugarcoat or make light of this subject. We will all one day hear Jesus say, either come or depart from me. If you're not a Christian this morning, uh, if you're not hearing God, then he actually, well, he is speaking to you and you've had a chance to hear him and you have a chance to respond this morning. If you want to respond as we move into communion, as we just uh, start to take the last few minutes of this service, then can I encourage you to speak to someone that you know is a Christian? Maybe someone who brought you this morning. Or come and speak to some of us down the front here, Justin, Danny, myself. If you say, look, actually, I don't hear God, but I know I need to. I know I'm on the wrong side of the diagram. I know I want to be a Christian. However, you want to word that, how we want to phrase that, whatever your understanding at the moment is, don't worry. If you know that you're in the wrong place and you need to do something about it, then we can help you this morning. Let's move to a time of communion. Uh, Justin, Anna, do you want to come back and play something? Justin, do you want to help us with that? Yeah, thanks, Ken. Well, so we, uh, it's good to respond, actually. We're going to worship and respond. Um, yeah, and perhaps, Anna, do you want to just play a short song so we can digest what Ken said before we go straight into communion? That'd be great. So, um, yeah, before we, we do go straight into it, let's, let's respond in worship. If you want to stand, um, Jesus is our prophet. We're focused on that today. Let's thank him that he's the one who we can come through and to hear the Father for our lives. It's different.